Mr. Pack. Good morning. I wish I was there in person today at Family Life Church, but Beth and I were called out of town, and so we can't be with you live, but I wanted to go ahead and record it, especially since a lot of our people are watching the live stream anyway. Um, you're used to seeing something that isn't quite live, so I figured it wouldn't be much of a detriment anyway. I also hate to miss out preaching an Advent sermon. Today is, as you know, the second Sunday in Advent, hence two candles are lit on our Advent wreath. A few weeks ago, Beth and I visited our local Menards store on a Sunday afternoon. We went there because we were looking for something very specific, but we got distracted by a display. It was a display of Christmas village houses. I'm sure you've seen those displays. They pop up in various retail outlets this time of year. And you'll see rows of little buildings, maybe a bank or a drugstore or a Dairy Queen or a grill restaurant, or maybe a small cottage. They always have very warm, inviting lights emanating from the windows. Most, but not all, will have some kind of a Christmas theme, maybe a Christmas tree or little lights around the roof line. They might even have a built-in electronic music box that plays Christmas carols. There is something very alluring about them, I can't walk by one of those displays without stopping and perusing them and studying them. And yes, in case you're wondering, we did end up making an impulsive purchase of one. It was a lighthouse that had a, uh, like a small cottage surrounding it. I noticed that many other people in the store, as they were bustling about, they also would stop and stare at these little houses. You don't see them stopping in front of the drywall display. You don't see everyone pausing in front of the Gorilla Glue display or in front of the house paint. But people will stop and stare at those little buildings. Why do so many people stop and linger by the little buildings? I think it's because the little buildings look so peaceful and so happy. They might remind us of an earlier time in our lives when things seemed better. Or maybe they remind us of how we always wish life was. Everything looks well. Everything looks happy. Everything looks peaceful. You never see little buildings for sale on those displays that remind us of real life. You won't see a tiny replica of a funeral home with a hearse parked outside. You won't hear an electronic music box playing a marital argument loudly. You won't see a replica of a small Planned Parenthood clinic with new fallen snow on the roof and icicles hanging from the gutters. You won't see a Monpa deli destroyed by a tornado. You won't see a small building with gunshot victims lying on the ground outside. I'm trying to call attention this morning to the tension that we probably all feel at Christmas time. Somehow, Christmas time is supposed to be a happy time. 
It's supposed to be a happy time as you celebrate Happy Honda Days or as you open up that special little surprise from Hellsberg Diamonds. It's supposed to be a time for warm, fuzzy feelings and mugs of eggnog, a time of joy, a time of contentment, a time for all families to get along. Much of our activity this time of year is geared towards that end, thinking that it should be wonderful. And that's why you'll hear people whisper, it just won't feel like Christmas this year. And maybe you've caught yourself muttering those words. Yet this desire to have everything feel perfect at Christmas conflicts with real life. People are still lying in ICUs with the beeping and wheezing of machines. Political partisanship continues. People get laid off at Christmas. There are still fender benders and speeding tickets. Husbands and wives still argue. The shooting deaths in Chicago and Milwaukee don't take a hiatus during Christmas. They continue unabated. Injustices go on. People will get drunk and kill innocent people. Sexual abuse will continue. Some will try to hold it together, though internally they're struggling with intense feelings of depression and loneliness. And it's not even a perfect life for inflatables. I read of a huge inflatable Frosty the Snowman in Ohio that was stabbed to death. All the owner could say was, why me? Why Frosty? My friends, I am here this morning to remind you that Jesus did not come into a storybook kind of world where everything is just perfect. He came into the real world, the world where you and I live, which is not a perfect place. It's not a perfect place because you and I are not perfect people. Sin has affected, infected everything. Jesus didn't arrive on earth only to have to fire off a message. Earth to God, things are a mess down here, a real mess. Why did I come? Jesus came into a world where things are not the way they were supposed to be. But that's the reason he came. The text that I have selected this morning contains Mary's song. I'd like to read it now from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46. This is after it's been announced to Mary that she will give birth to the Messiah. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham Abraham and his offspring forever. Jesus' own birth was hardly storybook. Unlike the Christmas cards that we get, where everything is peaceful looking, 
Jesus' own birth was hardly like a storybook. Mary and Joseph's trek to Bethlehem would not have been easy. If you've been married to a woman who's nine months pregnant, imagine convincing her to get on a donkey and traveling for miles. Having a stable as a birthing room and a manger for a bassinet would not be every woman's dream for her baby. Most parents I know try to have everything, and I mean everything perfect, for the new little arrival. The clothes for the ride home from the hospital, the properly installed car seat, the baby's room with not just any bed, but the right bed, the correct changing table, and naturally a mobile over the bed. And of course, all of the right equipment for feedings and changings. Birth is difficult and traumatic, even in the most sterile of settings like Condell or Lake Forest Hospital. But there was Mary giving birth in a stable. And then almost from birth, Herod puts out a contract on the baby Jesus, mercilessly killing all boy babies under two in hopes of getting the right one. Mary and Joseph became refugees in Egypt, trying to escape Herod. Jesus' birth might not have been storybook, but nothing about the world would ever be the same again. That night changed everything. It was, as young Mary sang, a good news, bad news situation. I will give you the bad news first. Because Jesus' birth actually was bad news. It was bad news to the prince of this world. Another reference, another name for Satan. It told him that his time was short. John chapter 12 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Satan did not sleep the day that Jesus was born. It was also bad news to the arrogant. Mary said he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. It was bad news for all those who use positions of authority to oppress, whether it be despotic rulers like Hitler or Kim Jong-un or the Chinese leader Xi, whether it be an absentee landlord in Waukegan or an employer who does not pay a fair wage or detectives who coerce a confession from an innocent man. Jesus' birth is bad news to those who take advantage. Mary sang, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. That's why King Herod was so frightened when the Magi came and said, we're looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. Jesus' birth was also bad news to those who are rich towards themselves, but not rich towards God. Mary sang, he has sent the rich away empty. Jesus' birth spelled the beginning of the end of this world in its present form. So much for the bad news. Now the good news. To another group of people, Jesus' coming is good news. It's very good news. It's the best news. It is good news for those who are broken before him, those who don't have even a hint of self-righteousness, those who can easily admit their sins and repent. It is good news for those who fear him. Mary saying his mercy is for those who fear him, 
from generation to generation. It is good news for the humble. Mary sang, he has exalted those of humble estate. Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus' birth is good news for those who are sick and tired of how this world operates, meaning those who are sick to death of pervasive injustice, for they shall be filled. These are those who cannot ignore the disparity between the way things are and the way they should be, and these will be filled. Mary's saying, He has filled the hungry with good things. The peace that the angels sang about shall be theirs. Mary's song reminds me a lot of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus gave that Sermon on the Mount, he included these, these familiar verses that have become known as the Beatitudes. He said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The birth of Christ is good news for all who are waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. Because his first coming was the exact fulfillment of so many very specific prophecies, we can be certain that all outstanding prophecies that point to the second coming of Jesus will similarly be completely fulfilled. He will come a second time, not as a baby, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will right every wrong. In the book of Acts, the writer says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because, listen to this, friends, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And that appointed man is the Lord Jesus Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The wonderful scripture in the book of Isaiah that points forward to that, that day when Jesus will right all wrongs. And his delight, it says, shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. The Trinity, that's right, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will create a new heaven and a new earth, reordering the world according to God's principles, free from the tyranny of sin. So this is the message of the Christmas story. Jesus did not come into the world expecting that it would be like one great, big, beautiful, peaceful Christmas village or like a Thomas Kincaid idyllic painting. Jesus came into a broken, gritty world. This comes through in many of the Christmas carols that we like to sing this time of year, such as the one, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, O ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever-encircling years shall come the time foretold, when the new heaven and earth shall own the Prince of Peace, their King, and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. If we don't understand this, if we don't understand that Jesus came into the world as it was, knowing it was a gritty, broken place, that he didn't come thinking it would be an idyllic kind of a world. If we don't understand that, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment when we see the disparities that are in the world. Not just at Christmas time, of course, but year-round. And I think that if we don't understand that, we can actually be in danger of spiritual suicide. Spiritual suicide is giving up on God, throwing away our confidence because we despair over all the imperfections in the world. Instead of understanding that Jesus came into this world knowing it was broken, and that that's why he came, we somehow want everything to be perfect now. And we can't live with the disparity between how things are and how we intrinsically know they ought to be. So as we celebrate the birth of Jesus one more time this year, it is time to renew our faith. We come again to the nativity not to merely renew our knowledge of the facts, but to renew our faith in the God who was born in a manger, born to ultimately right all wrongs, beginning with our own personal sins, but extending to all of the injustices that exist in our fallen world. Praise be to his name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's always a joy to come to this time of a year because we, we think again of the incarnation, of the coming of God to man, of the birth of Jesus, born of a, of a virgin, born to bring redemption to a very broken and fallen world. Lord, I'm thankful that as we look at the scriptures, we quickly discern that Jesus did not come to a world that he thought was going to be really perfect, really nice place. But he came, and the reason he came is because the world is so broken because of sin. And we're so thankful that he came anyway, that he came because 
He didn't want to just survey it and to report back to what was going on, but he was uniquely able to do something about it because of his incarnation, because he is perfectly God and perfectly man. He would be in a unique position to dwell for a time among us, to be tempted as we are, and yet without sin, and ultimately to die the death of a sinner upon a cross. Not for anything he had done, but taking upon himself the sins of the whole world, most especially we think of our own personal sins. And how thankful we are that Jesus was willing to do that. He's willing to do it instead of just writing us off or, or sending another flood or fire, like a Sodom and Gomorrah situation. We're so thankful that he came to redeem and to make possible the salvation of all who put their trust in him. Lord, please help us this year to, to grow in a proper understanding of what Christmas is all about, what the birth of Christ is all about, and what it means, not just for us, but what it means for people around us who we have a unique and wonderful ability to share the good news of the gospel with. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.